Go ahead and turn to um, Genesis 1. We're just going to start from the beginning tonight. Genesis 1. <laughs> Genesis 1 <laughs> and then Ephesians chapter 4. This is the third week of this teaching series that we're in called Momentum. Momentum, moving forward in your faith. And, and I feel like um, just the title alone has stirred a lot of things in a lot of people because we, we do want to move forward. We're, like we said a few weeks ago, we, we can't go on living the same way we have. This year cannot look like last year. And, and so we've been talking about the difference between hope, the difference between hope and faith, um, and these kinds of things. Now, originally I said that this series was only going to be about three or four weeks, but as I've been praying... As I've been reading the word, as I've been studying, um, I don't know about you, but I just feel like I'm almost starting over. Does anybody feel like that right now in their faith? It's almost like I'm just starting over. I don't know anything. So I've been, stu- I've been studying, I've been praying. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that. I've never thought about that. And so, um, so this will be more like six weeks. And tonight I want to share something that's actually a little bit different than what I planned. But I feel like it's going to be a part of the process of really understanding what it takes to move forward in our faith. And I'm going to start by saying this, and you can begin writing things down. Forward movement has to start with assessment. Forward movement has to start with assessment. And this is true of any kind of forward movement. Any kind of going of somewhere. Um, I know that when, when Melissa and I are going to go on a long trip, um, if we're going to drive there, she always asks me to, um, to check the oil or to make sure the oil gets changed. Every time, you need to get the oil changed. We need to get the oil changed. Because that's the only time we change our oil is when we go on a trip. So be sure you change the oil. But isn't it true when you're going to go on a trip, when you're going on a road trip, that you got to make sure you have oil or that you've checked your oil. You need to make sure that, that your tires are good. They're not going to blow out on you. You got to make sure you got Freon or water in the, in the radiator and all those kinds of things, right? Isn't that true? Because when you're going to go forward with something, you have to start with an assessment. Do I have what it takes to get there? I thought about um, one of my favorite things as a kid was going back into the school year. I know that's weird, but summer's there and then um, school is coming. I used to love that. And I actually used to like the whole find your school supply and go do, get your three ring binder, your trapper keeper. How many of you had trapper keepers? Raise your hand if you had a trapper keeper. You guys remember trapper keepers? So you get your trapper keepers, you get your paper, um, I guess if you're in college, you know, you get your books or whatever, all the things you have to do. Um, get your pens and paper. I thought about this as I was kind of thinking about this analogy, but I thought about um, how I would, I would tell my mom not to get too many pens and let's save that money because at our school, in, when I was in first, second, third grade, I believe, they had these pen, uh, pencil dispensers. You guys remember the pencil dispensers that they would have? And it would have different kinds of pens. And the ones that seemed to always be in our school were the, um, the football team pen, pencils. You guys remember those? Does anybody remember those? You go and you put a quarter in and you get a pencil. Sometimes you get two or maybe it was just one. I don't remember. But the, the deal was you try to get your favorite team. I think it was a money scam from the school. They're just soliciting from our, these kids. But anyway, um, you, you get the Denver Broncos. You get the Cowboys. You know, all those things. But the point is, is, is when you're going to move forward into a next season or go forward in any fa- form or fashion, you've got to assess where you're at. Watch specifically what do you have. Do I have what it takes to fulfill this mission. And it doesn't matter what the mission is. The appropriate questions are, what do I have? What do I not have? How or where do I get what I don't have? Isn't that true? Yes. Hankies, amens, remember, we're a team here. Okay, now let's apply this. 
to the most important mission or journey, if you will, the most important forward movement in our life. Most of us are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans that I have, you, have for you, says the Lord. I know the plans for you. I know the mission, if you will, that I have for you. You know, the Bible says, and we're going to look at it in a second, but the Bible says that God sat down with the Son and the Spirit and said, let's rock the universe, <laughs> right? Let's, let's create man in our own image. Let's, let's uh, make man in our own image according to our likeness, according to our, um, our image, and then let's let them rule. In other words, let's give them a mission. Let's give them assignment. And I was thinking about this. First of all, why would the Lord want to get into that project? And there's probably all kinds of theological reasons for that, all kinds of heady informational things that you could talk about why God would do that. But if you really take the Bible and you start reading through and you just read it for what it is, read it as a love story, you really find out it's just because God's full of love and he wants to spread the love. He's full of love and he wants to share the love. And he created us and is this whole great thing. So let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let us let them rule. And it says, so God did. He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female. This is um, Genesis chapter 1. Um, male and female, he created them. Now, I love what King David wrote in Psalm 139. And most of us are familiar with Psalm 139. I'm trying to stay with familiar verses, familiar themes, because some of the things that we're going to communicate, especially tonight, get ready, because there are lots of scriptures, and it's like we're going to have to really till up that soil, okay? Because it's going to be like, okay, let's connect the dots here. But I love what King David said in the Psalms. He says, I thank you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if you're reading out other versions, I know the NLT says this. I thank you that I am wonderfully complex. Okay, we're just talking about how he was created. You created me fearfully, wonderfully, with great care, with great concern, with great creativity. In fact, I am wonderfully complex. Okay, so let's take an inventory of what creator God gave Adam and Eve, okay? You guys with me? I'm telling you, you're going to have to have your thinking caps on tonight. Okay? There's no way we can journey without your thinking caps on. So just have some sort of gesture that says, I'm putting on. Okay. So Genesis 126. Genesis 126. And we already read it. But it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us, that is a plural, and that's really a picture of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, what we know um, to be the Trinity. I don't know if you ever knew this, but it says, it doesn't say Trinity anywhere in the Bible. Did anybody know that? But by context clues and by what God lays out through his word, we know that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sat down one day and started dreaming. He says, let us make man. Now, when he says this, he says, let us create another species upon this earth that will have similar uh, physical features, physical parts as other animals on the earth. And those parts will function pretty much the same way. Wouldn't you guys agree? We created this. We created this. Let's do another species. Let's call it man. And it's going to have some similar to the other creatures. But then he says, let us create that man in our image, according to our likeness. He didn't say that about any other creature. And I won't go into all that, but he basically creates them with, uh, creates Adam and Eve with these attributes, attributes that man have, would have in common with God. Um, like uh, a mind, a brain, not that other animals don't have brains, but a mind, a heart, emotions, all kinds of things. And we'll get into some of those but the complexities that David was pondering had nothing to do with, you know, wow, look how strong my hands are. 
dude, check out these pecs, you know, look at my quads. It, was, it had nothing to do with his physical features. The complexities that he's pondering on were spiritual complexities, how complex he was spiritually. And we could talk about a lot of those complexities. We could probably spend hours talking about that kind of stuff. But I want to look at two things, two things. And the first thing is something that God gave us in his complex creation of us is that he gave us eternity. I want you to write some of these things down. And I want you to pay real close attention because at the end, I'm going to make sense out of what I'm about to say. He gave us eternity. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, it says that the eternal God is a dwelling place. Some of your versions say the eternal God is a home, or some of them say um, he's a refuge. But the creator God is a dwelling place that tells us a couple things. One, that God is eternal. Isn't that what it says? God is eternal. And since we were created in his image and in in his likeness, then we are eternal beings. Isn't that true? And because we are eternal beings, since we are eternal beings, um, being with him in heaven is the only thing that will ever feel like home. Let me say that again. Because we are eternal beings created in his image, created in his likeness, the only thing that will ever feel like home is heaven. Things pertaining to the kingdom of God are the only things that will ever satisfy and we kind of know that already, right? Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will work out. You'll be satisfied with everything else if you're seeking first the kingdom of God. I want you to look at, um, you know, I think I have it on the screen, so that'll be okay. You don't have to turn there. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us something really important. It says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. God has planted eternity in the human heart. Now, you got to hang on because we're going somewhere. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning. They were created uh, with a sense of eternity, eternity planted in their heart. But even still, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. In other words, we were created as eternal beings, but we're not God. There is a limitation to what we can see, understand, and perceive, right? Okay? But the bigger point is God planted eternity in the human heart. We are eternal Creatures, we will always have a longing for eternal things, a bigger purpose, if you will. There will always be sense of a higher calling. The Apostle Paul calls it the upward calling in Philippians 4. And people are chasing it all the time. They may not realize they're chasing the upward call, but they are. How many of you know that people are chasing something? They're after something bigger. They don't know what it is. And especially those who aren't in Christ Jesus, they don't understand. They're just all over the place trying to find that sense of purpose. You know what I mean? How many of you are asked that question? What is my purpose on this earth, dear God? Well, we were created with that because we're eternal beings. This, is, this will never be enough. Heaven is our home. Amen? And so, um, so that upward call, but it's a vain pursuit unless it's in Christ. Philippians, whenever I was talking about Philippians 3, Paul says the upward call, but he says the upward call of God, God gave us that upward call, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. Now this Christ, in Christ Jesus, this is huge. And this is what, this is what we're going to kind of focus on tonight. But this in Christ Jesus, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus is huge. And it leads me to the second thing that God gave us. Now stay with me because this is obscure. God gave us eternity, but he also gave us unity. Everybody say that. God gave me unity. He gave us unity. 
If you look, uh, in fact, let me say this before I go on. Everything eternal, because we just talked about the eternal. God is eternal. We're eternal beings. There's things that are eternal. But everything eternal is held together because of the unity of the Godhead. Listen to me. This is a little bit heady. It's a little bit deeper tonight, but listen to me. Everything eternal is held together by the unity of the Godhead, the unity that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you look at Deuteronomy 6, we've all heard the scripture. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's another reference to um, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being one, three in one. My favorite picture of the Trinity is in Isaiah 48. If you've never heard it, you can, you can go there and mark it real quick. But it says, come to me. This is obviously God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. And he says, come near to me. Where have we heard that before? Come to me. Come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, weary, and I will give you rest. Where have we heard that? Jesus is the one who said that. He's the one talking here. Let me show you. Come near to me. Listen to this. From the first, I have not spoken in secret from the time it took place. I insert Jesus, was there. And now the Lord God has sent me, Jesus, and his spirit. Now this is Isaiah prophesying. So he's talking about Jesus is coming. But you can see, look at that. Now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. So we know that there's three in one right there, okay? Listen to what I said. Everything eternal is held together because of the unity of the Godhead. The Trinity is a picture of unity. You with me? The Trinity is a picture of unity. You know what? Not even a picture of unity. It is the reality of unity. Because you can't have unity without agreement. Isn't that true? Can you have unity in a room if not everybody's in agreement? You can't have unity. So you can't have unity without agreement. You can't have agreement without trust. Isn't that true? That's why we have contracts. That's why we have things like that. That's why we have mortgages. That's why we have car notes, right? Well, I'll pay you back for that Maserati. I'll promise I will. Why don't we sign something? Why? Because I don't trust you and I ain't going to make an agreement because I don't trust you, right? So you can't have an agreement without trust. Well, isn't it true that you can't have trust without faith? Because for me to trust you, I've got to believe that you will come through on what you say that you will do. I have to have a faith that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. Isn't that true? So let's recap this list. You can't have unity without agreement. You can't have agreement without trust. But you can't have trust without faith. It won't, you won't trust unless you know that something's good for the, for, someone's good for their word. You can't have trust without faith. So listen, and maybe I'm stretching it here, but I don't think so, and you'll see why. So unity really is the equivalent of faith. I told you it was going to take a little brain power. Unity is equivalent to faith. Look at Ephesians 4. You should already be there. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's talking and... If you've been here a while, you know that this is, uh, this is the chapter of Scripture that Melissa and I were inspired with when we started Soma. So we love this, this, uh, this chapter of Scripture. It says, 
It says in Ephesians 4, Paul tells us to be diligent to preserve something. You guys see that in verse 3? Be diligent to preserve what? The unity of the Spirit. He goes on to say, in the bond of peace. And he says, there's one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Let me pause because I get a sense that this is going a little bit deeper and some of you may be checking out. Has everybody checked in? I promise it'll be worth it. Are you checked in? Okay. All right. Hankies and amen. Right? Um, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. And look what it says in verse 5. One Lord. How many Lords? And the next thing he says is one faith. One Lord. We know that's Father, Son, and Spirit. There's a trinity there. The Godhead. And one faith. One baptism, one God, one Father over who, oh, oh, blah, 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 but one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So according to this, there is only one faith provided by one God that will get you to the one hope of your calling. Do you see that? Let me say it again. There is one faith, uh, there is one faith provided by one God that will get you to the one hope of your calling, which is an upward calling. Paul, we know Paul said that. Now, look down in verse 13. Look what he says here. He says, until we attain to the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now remember, how many faiths is there? There's one faith. And that faith exists in the Godhead. And look what else it says. It says unity of faith depends on the fullness of Jesus. Listen to that. The unity of faith depends on, you're going to need this in a minute, you're going to need to be able to insert these facts into the story. It says, basically says the unity of faith depends on the fullness of Jesus. It says the fullness of Jesus depends upon the knowledge of Jesus. Do you see that? There's this progression here. The, fullness, uh, the unity of faith depends on the fullness of Jesus. In other words, the more full of Jesus you are, the more unified you are in the faith. Isn't that what it's saying? Okay. And then the fullness of Jesus depends on the knowledge of Jesus. In other words, the more you know Jesus... <laughs> the fuller you will be of him. You seeing this? Okay, this is going to connect in a minute. So it seems like, now remember, so it seems like the stewardship of this one faith, okay, one Lord, one faith. It seems like the stewardship of this one faith was delegated, if you will, to Jesus. Son, I'm signing you to take care of the faith portion of this project. Okay? We're creating this thing. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to put you in charge of this whole faith thing. Which makes sense because what does Hebrews 12 2 say? Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So he is the one that got this thing rolling and he's the one that's making sure it's rolling on. Amen? Does anybody remember what Hebrews 1.33 says off the top of their brain? Probably not. Hebrews 1.33 says that the Son, talking about Jesus, the Son radiates God's own glory 
and expresses the very character of God. And I'm using a lot of scripture. And I realize that sometimes that the more scripture you, you use, especially if they're real wordy ones, and you know, sometimes like, what now? Can't you just keep it simple? This is simple, mostly. <laughs> the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. It says that he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Some of your versions say by the power of his word. Some of your versions say by the word of his power. But basically, the word has the power. Amen? Keep that in mind. In other words, everything in this project called creation is held together by Jesus, including the privilege that Adam and Eve had of enjoying a perfect relationship with the Godhead. Let me say that again. Everything in this project called creation is held together by Jesus, including the relationship, the privilege that Adam and Eve had of enjoying a perfect relationship with the Godhead. They weren't included in the Trinity. Is that true? Right? Adam and Eve weren't part of the Trinity. All, all, that would be a quanti- I don't even know what that would be. Right? A pentim- I don't know what it would be. It would be five of them. But there was only three. So they weren't included in the Trinity, right? But they were of the Trinity. They were created by the Trinity. God had this idea. Let's create these guys. So he formed them and breathed into them the pneuma, which is the word for the spirit. Breathe the spirit into them. And who's the one holding all this together? Jesus. So they are of the Trinity. You guys follow me? Is this too big, too thick, too deep? Stick with me. In fact, you might say that they were of the faith. If you look at Galatians, Paul says, let us do good to all people, but especially to those. Let us do good to all people, but especially to those, I love the choice of words, who are of the household of the faith. Does that make sense? Who's Paul talking about? He's talking about those who are in right relationship with God through his son, Jesus. You with me? Okay, now here's my point. You ready to go there? Here's my point. Can we go back to the beginning and take a close look at what happened to mankind? What happened in the garden? I'm just going to read this and then we'll check it out. Remember all these facts that we just said. We painted a big picture. Okay? Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said... You shall not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, and we know that the serpent is Satan, right? You guys do know that? The woman said to the serpent, Well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. If you know back in, um, in chapter 2, he's talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, You shall not eat of that tree or you will surely die. The day that you eat of it, you will die. Okay, we'll get back to that. And the serpent said, you will not surely die. (laughs) For God knows that the day that you eat from that tree, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like him. That's the deal, knowing good from evil. Now, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight 
to the eyes. Uh, I think the NLT version says, when the woman was convinced, this is important, when the woman was convinced, and really a translation ought to put, when the woman was deceived, but when the woman was de- uh, convinced, and it was a delight to her eyes, and she saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves a covering. Now let me ask you something. We read the story. And again, I'm trying to pick some stories that are familiar because the concepts are a little more difficult. But let me ask you something. What did Satan attack right there in the garden? Did he attack Eve? Think about the question he had. He could have asked her any question. He could have been saying, he could have been like, Woman, why ain't you got more clothes on than that? (laughs) He could have asked her anything. He could have struck up any conversation. But what did he attack? Did he attack her? Somebody tell me what he attacked. Huh? Okay. He attacked God's word. Hath God really said? Oh, I just did King James. Y'all hear that? Hath God really said? (laughs) Hath God done yonder said thou? Thou? (laughs) That was pretty, sorry. Hath God really said? Has God really said? So what he attacked was God's word. Now what did Satan attack on God's word do? It sowed seeds. Yeah. It sowed seeds of mistrust. Did God really say that? He just knows that you're going to be like him if you eat of that tree. He's what he's holding back from you guys. You need to know. God's not quite as good as you think he is. He's holding back. Oh, I never, I never even thought about it that way. And never would have if that serpent hadn't come into the garden, by the way. Never would have considered that. You do realize that. Why? Because she was in a perfect relationship with a unified God. There's no room for mistrust. There's no room for doubt. That unity of the Trinity was a picture of faith. I don't have to go look anywhere, but one day Satan came in and attacked God's word. Has he really said that? Here's what's going on. And he sowed seeds of mistrust. Satan presented Adam and Eve with a choice. You can believe the lie and doubt the Lord. You can believe the lie and doubt the Lord, or you can believe the truth and keep the faith. Listen to me carefully. That's the choice we're faced with today. You can believe the lie and doubt the Lord, or you can believe the truth and keep the faith, keep the unity of the Trinity, unity of the Spirit. Well, what do they do? Come on, guys. They believed the lie. They doubted the Lord. And here's what happened. I want you to, because this is, this is the brass tacks here. Doubt is the same thing as mistrust. And since mistrust is a lack of faith, when they believed this, uh, you know, you remember in Luke when Jesus is given the parable of the sowers and he explains it. What does he say the, the seed is? His word. So God is, Jesus is the word, and anything that's sown in him is sown, it's truth being sown. Well, that day, Satan sowed a word, but his was a lie, it was deception. And it produced fruits, not of righteousness like truth will, but of mistrust. 
And that's what they believed. And listen to me very carefully. The day that Adam and Eve believed that lie, they took themselves out of the faith. And how do we know that? Because they stopped the relation, relational aspect of his word. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Everything around faith has to do with Jesus. And the day they said, I'm not going to believe the word, they, that right there was a ticket out of the faith. You know how else we know that? What did, what did God say? Listen, you can eat of anything you want. All these trees. Now that one over there, don't eat that one. I'm telling you by my word, don't eat that one because the day that you do, you will surely die. Well, what happened the day that they ate of it? They took themselves out of the faith and as soon as they stepped out of the faith, what came? Death. Death came. There's all kinds of scriptures that I can use here. Uh, I don't know if I have them written on here. But scriptures that talk about um, um, who Jesus is. Jesus, think about this. When they took themselves out of the faith, they took themselves into death. They brought themselves into a state of death, which is away from life. They stepped out of the light. And what did they step into? Darkness. Well, John chapter 8 tells us that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the, and he says both of these words, the light of life. Well, that day, that's the very thing that they stepped out of. They stepped out of life and they stepped out of light. What they did is their decision to not believe the word of God pulled them out of that perfect relationship they had with the Trinity because their relationship with Christ was tweaked. You follow? Why? Because he's the word. He upholds all things, including that relationship that they had, the unity of the Trinity that they had, that relationship. He upholds that. How? By the power of his word. What does faith come by? Hearing. Hearing what? And hearing by the word of God. So that day they chose not to hear God's word. They chose not the Son of God. They chose a different word. And when they did that, something happened. They went from life into death. So many scriptures in, in the Bible that talk about Jesus is life. Everything pertaining to life is in Jesus. You want life? It's connected to Jesus. That day, she disconnected. He disconnected themselves from the word of God and they found death. Does that make sense? This is a big deal. I don't know if we've ever looked at it that way. You know, but that's what they did. They chose that day to not have a relationship, to not partake of, to not believe, to not trust, to not put their faith in anymore. The Word of God. Now, everything that we are striving to be and to do and to communicate in the gospel is getting back to <laughs> putting our faith in Jesus. Why? Because that's what puts us into right relationship with God again. You guys see that? Isn't that interesting? You ever looked at Genesis 1 that way? She had the choice. Believe the lie, believe the truth. Remain in the faith or walk away from the faith. That's what the choice was. Doesn't it really come down to that? And here's the thing. I, I thought about this. You know, um, a lot of people think that when that happened in the garden, that God took something from Adam and Eve. And there's all kinds of things they think he took or whatever. 
But let's look at just our list. What did he say? What did we say he gave us? He gave us eternity and gave us unity. Well, let's start with unity. Did he take unity away from them? Did he take unity away from Adam and Eve? Did he take that sense of trust, that sense of faith away from them? Well, then where did it go? They stepped away from it. God didn't take anything away from them. You ever thought about that? God didn't take that away from them. They had a choice. They chose to walk away. He said, well, you just eat the tree and you're going to die, but don't eat it. I want you to hang around. They believed a deceptive word. They didn't believe the truth. What about this thing about eternity? Did he take eternity away from us? Did he take eternity away from us? He didn't. We're still eternal beings, aren't we? We're still eternal beings. But there was something, look at Genesis 3, the end of it. Here's a big, cool, bad, ugly, amazing truth. And this is the reality of what I want to challenge us with today. The very end of chapter 3, God said, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become, become like one of us. Obviously, they have not now become members of the Trinity. It just means their eyes are open to some bigger things. Knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. In other words, I don't know that we can trust these guys anymore. Well, of course we can't. That was, that was, they took themselves out of the faith, didn't they? They, they were operating in trust. They weren't operating in faith. They were operating in doubt. That's where they were now. And they were in a, a dead state. God's like, I don't know that we can trust these guys anymore. What if they reached out and grabbed the tree of life and lived forever? Now, that does not mean they're not going to live forever unless they eat the tree of life. Here's what God's saying. We cannot, and remember, he kicked them out of the garden. God's like, you guys, we created eternal beings here. Eternal beings. And they are in a state of death right now because they chose to walk away from the faith. Son, spirit, do you understand what will happen if they get a hold of the tree of life? They will live for eternity in a state of death. And God said, we got to get them out of here. That was not my plan for them. So you guys got to go. He kicked him out of the garden. Oh, how mean. Are you kidding me? What an ultimate act of mercy. Amen? And he was so solid on what he knew to be true. God was, he so knew the condition that they were in and the condition that they could be in if they ever got a hold of the fruit of the tree of life. That he put cherubim, angels, at the gate and said, you guys will not be coming back in here. I've said this before, I always felt like, I always felt like God in his goodness maybe would meet them at the gate, talk to them, hang out with them. It's not like he didn't love them anymore. Obviously, he was merciful enough to get them out of there before they put themselves in eternal death. So I don't know, it's just something I've always hung on to. I bet God showed up at the gate every now and then. Maybe every day. Talked to them, inspired hope. Don't worry, guys. When you die, you'll hang out in Abraham's bosom. 
Who's Abraham? Well, I haven't created him yet, but that doctrine will come later. And then later on down the road, I'm going to send the word, the word that you didn't believe. I'm going to send him to become flesh and to be perfect and undo everything you just did. And when that day happens, anybody who partakes of the tree of life will live eternally with me. Am I painting that picture well enough for us tonight? Remember what I said at the beginning. Move, uh, forward movement has to start with an assessment. It has to start with an assessment. Do you have a trust in God? Do you have faith in God? I don't know if I have faith. It's a simple question. Do you trust God? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your kids, your marriage? Do you trust him with your finances? Do you trust that his, what his word says is true? Do you trust that even when you are unfaithful, he is still faithful? Do you trust that when he says he will forgive you, he will be faithful and just to forgive you of all your unrighteousness? Do you believe that his grace is sufficient? Do you believe that his mercies are new in the morning? Because if you don't have that, in your tool bag, it makes me think, how many of you seen Lone Survivor? You guys ever seen that? I love this, that scene where, where there's, there, there's this big table and all the, all the operatives, all the soldiers are around this table and they're, they're putting, they're putting um, ammo in their guns and they're, they're filling their packs with all the stuff. They're get ready, getting ready for the mission that they have. And they're making sure that they have, they're making an assessment. I need, I need full rounds, I need a pack, I need my this, I need my radio... They're doing an assessment because they're about to go on a mission. Listen, we're moving forward, you guys. But are we moving forward with the key ingredient? Are we walking in the unity of the Spirit? Are we agreeing with what God says through His Word about Himself, about us, about His Son, about His Spirit? Is there a level of mistrust in our life? Because if so, we are backing out of faith. Something I wrote down, and you can write down, when Adam and Eve forewent their faith, they forfeited their life. Forewent is just a past tense of to forego something, to lose it, to drop it, to walk away from it. When Adam and Eve forewent their faith, they forfeited their life. Are we doing the same thing? Are we saying, I don't trust, I don't trust what you say. I'm actually believing the lie every day. When you do that, you are forfeiting yourself, maybe not eternal life because you may be born again. But what about the life that he calls us to live while we are here on this earth? If you want to move forward, you've got to move forward with the right equipment. Faith. Trust. Total dependency. Complete unity. On what God has said. Amen. Let's stand.